0: It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Okay, you guys, I've got a special guest on today. This guy has influenced my process as a gay Christian. Um, when I first started coming out to myself, uh, his book was the second book I read. Justin Lee wrote this book called Torn. Rescuing the Gospel from the Gays Versus Christians Debate. This book was so timely and so helpful, and I think it's undersung. It's so good. Justin was definitely somebody that got put on my radar early on in this process because of his book, and then I found him on YouTube. Why don't you tell us who you are and what you do currently, what your work is in the world, and then I've got some questions. Well,
1: first of all, I'm honored. Thank you. Thanks for for having me on and letting me be part of the conversation. I have for 25 years now been doing ministry in one form or another around lgbtq issues starting with my own coming out process growing up in a very conservative southern baptist home with a lot of negative views about gay people and then realizing as a teenager that i was gay and not knowing what to do with that and ultimately writing my story online and discovering there were lots of other folks who were struggling to figure out what to do because they were gay or a loved one was gay and they were christians and they were trying to figure out, you know, what does the Bible say on this? Uh, What do I do if my church doesn't understand? Does God still love me? Am I going to hell? You know, all these things. So I've spent the, the bulk of my life trying to help churches have better conversations, not only around gay questions, which was where I started, but more broadly LGBTQ plus conversations. I do a lot of my work in the spaces where it's most difficult to have those conversations, in those churches and denominations where This is still a really tough conversation to have. That's where I'm, you know, I feel most called. I write and I speak. I ran a nonprofit for 16 years and and now I run a different nonprofit and I make YouTube videos.
0: Before we get into any of the things we're getting into, I would love to start at the beginning. So I'd love to hear, you grew up Baptist, discovered you were gay in your teen years. Would love to hear just some of what that process was like and how did you go from that to I'm gonna share this story or, you know, how did you get into starting the dialogue and then ended up running an organization for gay Christian people?
1: My parents were just amazing, wonderful folks, deeply devout Christians. From a really early age, I got to see Christianity done right they really lived out lives dedicated to Christ. And so from a young age, I knew I want that. I I could see in in my parents' lives that light of Christ influencing not just the the public things they did, not just going to church and and talking about being a Christian, but really in the day-to-day decisions that they made Wanting to live the kind of life life that God would have them to live at a at a young age, I told them I I wanted to pray to receive Christ. That was a decision I I reaffirmed for myself as a teenager. My reputation with my friends was as this obnoxiously Christian kid who wouldn't shut up about his faith. One of my classmates in high school nicknamed me God Boy because I wouldn't. He did not mean it. You know. In a, in a positive way. He meant right. it, I think, as an insult. But I took it as, as a compliment because that's who I wanted to be. I, I wanted to be someone who was, you know, totally sold out for Christ. If you know anything about the Southern Baptist Church, growing up in the 80s and 90s, the message that I got about gay people was that they had made a sinful choice to turn from God, that God disapproved of homosexuality. And these days, when people use the term homosexuality, I stop them and I say, let's define that because everybody thinks they know what that means but that can refer to a lot of different things. You know, people may say homosexuality thinking about somebody's sexual behavior, but that's a term that can refer to relationships, it can refer to people's feelings, it can refer to how people, you know, see themselves. There's so many pieces of that. But I wasn't thinking about it that carefully at the time. I was just thinking God disapproves of homosexuality. Gay people have made a choice to be gay. God God has something better for them and, and wants them to be straight if they would just turn their lives over to him. And I didn't think any of that had anything to do with me other than growing up as this solidly evangelical outspoken kid. I felt like it was my responsibility to take positions on cultural issues of the day. And that was one of the issues that the people I knew you know, in my church were talking about. And so I did speak out on the the sinfulness of homosexuality, but didn't think that had anything to do with me. And yet, from the moment that I hit puberty, all of my attractions were always for guys. It took me a long time to realize that what I was feeling wasn't the same thing everybody else was feeling. I had heard, for folks who weren't part of the evangelical world at that time, I should explain that one of the most influential figures in the evangelical world at that time was James Dobson, who was running the organization Focus on the Family and had this daily radio show where they talked about different issues and they put out magazines and newsletters and all these things, many of which my family consumed. I had heard Dr. Dobson say more than once, that young people might struggle with their sexual feelings and wrongly think that they were gay but the, you know but being gay was a choice and all that and so even when i knew i had attraction to the same sex i just assumed this was a normal part of of puberty and I didn't worry too much about it. And when my guy friends would talk about the girls in our class and you know, we're clearly lusting after them, I thought that the reason I wasn't feeling those things was because I was such a good Christian that I didn't lust. It took me a long time to realize, no, I'm just not feeling any of the things that they're feeling. And they're not feeling the things that I'm feeling. And yet, even once I had that realization, I prayed that God would take away my attraction to the same sex. I I prayed that God would give me attraction to the opposite sex. It was the secret I was going to take with me to my grave that I was confident God would take away from me. And I, I would never have to tell anybody that I had gone through it. And I still, all that time, considered myself straight and I dated girls and I had a girlfriend and all of this was going on for me through middle school, through high school, but yeah through high school I was dating girls. What were you um,
0: was compelling you to date girls?
1: It's what you were supposed to do. I mean I remember in middle school I remember in 6th grade one of my friends asking me which of the girls in our class I liked cuz that was you know, when you're in sixth grade, that's the thing people talk about. Oh, who do you like? Do you like, do you like her? Do you like her? I didn't know what to say in response to that, other than one of my classmates who I thought was really nice. I had been new to the school that year and she made me feel very welcome. And so I named her and he said, oh really, you know, what do you like about her? And I said, oh, she's just, she's really nice. And that was the wrong answer. (laughs) Because I was supposed to say stuff about her physically that was hot, and I just didn't think about her that way. It didn't occur to me that I was supposed to think about her that way. But I I knew when I said that what I liked about her was that she was nice. I I knew instantly from his reaction that that was the wrong answer, and that there was something else I was supposed to say. It took me a long time to put the pieces together. But I assumed that I wanted to get married and have a family and have kids, and you know all the things that I'd sort of thought you're supposed to do. It just took me a long time to realize that I. I was supposed to be feeling something for girls that I wasn't feeling. And once that began to become apparent, and once it became apparent that God wasn't changing it, even despite my prayers and, and eventually crying myself to sleep at night, begging God you know, to change my feelings, then I started having to really seriously consider what's wrong with me. And it was when I was 18 that the light bulb finally went on and I made this connection, had this realization that I'd never had. Oh, when people say gay, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about people attracted to the same sex, because until that moment, moment, my only image of gay men was that they spent their time marching in pride parades in thongs or engaging in weird sexual behavior for some reason. And I just didn't think any of that had anything to do with me because that was a choice. And it was a choice I wouldn't make. I was, you know, I was God boy. When I tell that story to people who are much younger than me, a lot of them struggle to understand that because they've grown up in a different world. It's it's much more difficult now to get to 18 and not have other images of gay people because there's so many images of gay people in our culture. But when I was 18, that just wasn't the case. There were a handful of characters you could find on TV shows or in movies that I never watched before that time, but very few. Nothing that I was exposed to. A lot of the celebrities that we think of now as sort of always having been out were not out at that time. This is like before the big moment when Ellen DeGeneres came out, which was a culture shifting moment in 97. This was before TV shows like Will and & Grace. And so I just didn't have any other image for what gay was. So realizing that I was gay was equal parts relief and horror, because on the one hand having spent all these years thinking I was the only person who was feeling this stuff for the for the same sex, you know, initially thinking, oh, this is normal. Everybody goes through this then realizing, oh, no, this isn't what other people are feeling. I thought for years, I'm the only one feeling this something's just wrong with me, but God's gonna eventually take it away. And that didn't happen. I finally realized, oh, no, other people are going through this. And there's a word for it. And it was for me, like a diagnosis for a disease, which was kind of a relief to finally, you know, if you have a medical symptom that you can't explain, and then finally, you find the doctor who says, I know what's Wrong with you, even if it's an awful diagnosis, it's nice to know you're not alone and there's a name for it. But the flip side of that was I didn't have any images of happy gay people, you know, happy gay people in committed relationships, happy gay people who were celibate Christians, happy gay people of any sort. My image of gay people was that they had made some choice to turn from God and do sinful things and that they represented everything I I was against. And so I didn't know then if I was gay, what that meant, because I knew I didn't want to go down that path, but I didn't know what the options were. me. For a while, I I just dealt with that internally, you know, uh, with a lot of a lot of prayer and, and anguish, and when I eventually got to the point that I started to share with some other Christians close to me what I was going through, their response was most of the time to accuse me of having made a choice that I didn't make, and to quote Bible passages like the Sodom story, which was not a particularly helpful story for me, and I, I really didn't know what to do. The only thing that I knew to do was to try somehow to not be gay, to somehow become straight. And for a while, I still thought God would make me straight. And when I came out to my girlfriend that's what i told her i told her that god was going to make me straight she was a bit more skeptical on that than i was But at the time I thought, you know, she just didn't have enough faith and I did, but God did not make me straight in fact. And that really put me in a place where I didn't know who else in the world could possibly understand what I was going through. Throughout my college years, I started speaking on this and I wrote my story online back in the days before the social media sites, you know, that we think of today, people were building websites at the time. And that's what I did. I built a website. I posted my story on it, just a single page. Here's what I've been through. And the main reason I did that was that in college, as I met other Christians and tried to confide in them a bit about what I was going through, everybody would you know, interrupt and make the same assumptions and say, don't you know that's a choice? And don't you know that's a sin? And haven't you read this passage? And haven't you read that passage? And I got so tired of having to explain over and over that finally I just said, let me write my story out. And then when I come out to somebody, I'll say, go read this. It'll tell you what my faith is and, and how I got here and what I'm still wrestling with. And then we can talk about it afterwards. But at least then I'll know that you understand what I've been through. And what happened was that story went viral. I don't think people were saying go viral at that time, but that's what happened. It went viral. I started getting emails from people all over the world who were essentially in the same boat and wanted my support and my advice. They wanted me to tell them what to do. They would say, nobody knows and I don't don't know what to do. or, Or some of them had married. People would write to me and say, my kids don't know that I'm gay." My my husband or my wife doesn't know that I'm gay. My grandkids don't know that I'm gay. Older people wrote to me and said, I've lived my entire life with this secret and I've been miserable. Don't make the same mistake that I did.
0: Listen, how old were you when you were getting all these emails?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, I was 19, 20. I was like, I, who am I? I don't have the answers. I'm still trying to figure all this out. I had more than a few people write to me and tell me that they had been on the verge of self-harm more of suicide and that reading my story and finding that somebody else was going through the same thing had given them hope. I mean, so some of it was really heavy stuff. And I thought, well, I don't have all the answers and I don't wanna set myself up as somebody who pretends to have all the answers. But one thing I can do is I can tell my story. I didn't know anybody else who was going through it. At least I don't want other people to not know anybody else who's going through it. I I can be one person and maybe that will inspire other people. And we can together encourage the church to talk about this in a better way. There are all kinds of disagreements we can have about what the Bible says in this passage or that passage. But before we even get to that part, We've got to be loving people we we as a Christian community as a body of Christ should never be approaching any issue in such a way that people are so filled with with shame and self hate that they are contemplating hurting themselves over it like that should be off the table realizing that that was the case for so many people, I thought we got to do better than that. And, you know, whatever we disagree on, let's start with, that's a bad thing. And so I just started writing and then, you know, sharing my story and talking about it, you know, with folks in college. And I went on the campus TV station and I spoke to the campus Christian fellowship and all of this stuff. And then things just kept building and building. And I was hearing from more and more people who were in the same boat. And eventually it was just way more than I could handle. I mean, I'm trying to answer all of these people and try to give them hope at the same time that I'm handling a full course load and, and everything in college and taking really tough classes. Towards the end of, of my time in college, I, um, I built a website where I could post some of this stuff, not my personal site, but a, another site where I could post some of this stuff to try to help people to find resources. And after I graduated, I added an, an online community to it thinking, well, we can support each other. That just started growing. And then people wanted to meet in person. And then it became this whole thing. And then for 16 years, I ran this organization that just kept growing and growing and growing, doing all that we could to try to support folks wherever they were in this journey. That's ultimately led to some of the work that, that I do now in a different space, a, a different organization. You know, Now there are a number of different organizations that are out there doing similar kinds of things and putting on conferences. And from my perspective, some are better than others. Some are more useful than others. Some speak to different audiences than others. My calling continues to be in those spaces where it's most difficult, where people feel like they don't have support because there are still a lot of people in that place.
0: What do you think separated you from all these other people who had been closeted and hadn't said anything about this? Why did you decide to go public? What made you so different from all these other people? Weren't you concerned that you were going to get met with such intense backlash or rejection or like suffer negative consequences for making this public? Or did it not feel like it was that public because it was online and that wasn't as public as it is now?
1: You know, it's interesting. Nobody's ever ever asked me that before. A lot of things in my life prepared me in ways that I didn't see at the time. One of the interesting things God does is God brings us through good and bad things. It's not that I think God causes bad things to happen to us, but I think God uses, you know, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, or, you know, yada, yada. I think God uses the positive and negative experiences in our lives to shape us in ways that actually we can often end up being the right tool for the job in the situation that God puts us in at some point in the future. Often that's in ways that you don't ever get, a, you know, a claim that I to I to be in a position where I ended up in in the spotlight for better or worse and and you know now you're you're interviewing me and you know but often this happens in ways that nobody ever notices but are no less important in my case I think I had a really solid upbringing I was very fortunate in a lot of ways in how I was brought up. And I got used to being willing to stand against peer pressure as a Christian, because I, you know, stood up on issues, sometimes in ways that now make me cringe, but I was willing to stand up for what I believed, even in the face of opposition and, and pressure.
0: Could you give us an example of a cringeworthy thing you used to stand for, and now you're like, oh god, I can't believe I did that.
1: The, the fact that I spoke out so vociferously against this, you know, the idea of identifying as gay, thinking I knew what I was talking about and I now realize there's a lot I didn't know.
0: So you, uh, wait, so before you had this realization, like, oh, I'm gay, you spoke out against gay people because you thought that you weren't that don't Absolutely.
1: Right. I mean, in a way that I thought was loving, you know, where, where I said to my friends in high school, I don't hate gay people, I don't think gay people should be subject to abuse or or teasing or anything of that nature. But I don't think it's God's best for us. I think God wants, you know, to bring them to something better. And, you know, I don't think it's biblical. I don't think we should say it's okay to be gay. That'll lead kids to to call themselves gay when they're not. And that's, you know, yada, yada all those things. And now I think back, and I wonder who heard me say that and was hurt by it. Because years later, I would hear other people say many of the things that I said, and it hurt me. And yet at the same time, I think in some ways it affected me differently because I could think back and go, well, gosh, I said that too. And when I said that, I was trying to do the right thing. So this person's trying to do the right thing. So it led me to not write those people off when they said those hurtful things, because I thought, I understand totally why this person is saying this. They are trying to be loving and helpful. There's stuff they don't know that I only know now because I've been through it. And I used to not know it. And I said the same stuff. So I think that helps prepare me. And I think standing up against peer pressure when you have your parents and your family and your church and your Christian friends behind you is really different from standing up against peer pressure when those same people think that you are leading folks astray and harming people. And when you don't have any anyone standing with you. That's tough. You're laughing.
0: I'm sorry. I suspect you know
1: what I'm talking about.
0: I'm laughing because, yeah, it feels like the, it's like awkward how I'm like, it feels like you're describing exactly how I felt in this process. It's fascinating. I'm laughing because it's just too, it's too parallel.
1: So often these well-meaning Christians who criticize folks for coming out and, and so forth, in their minds, we are capitulating to the culture. We are giving in to that peer pressure they feel like they are standing up for for what's true and that they are standing up against the peer pressure that's how i felt all those years what they often don't realize is that when you come out as gay and hold on to your faith especially if it's like an evangelical faith a conservative you know theologically conservative christian faith you don't really get in many cases the support you know of the culture because they think you're still holding on to silly religious beliefs that you shouldn't hold on to and you don't get the support of the, the Christians who supported you all those years. So you're really out there on your own. And it is incredibly lonely. It, it, it's incredibly painful. And when I came out at that point, I hadn't decided yet what I thought God wanted me to do. I didn't understand what to do with all the Bible passages. I didn't have like, you know, this is what the Bible says. Where I was still trying to figure that out. I was willing to go on that journey with any Christian who would, you know, prayerfully approach this stuff with me. But people interpreted my just saying that I was gay as my making a choice to, to rebel against God. And one of the things that I realized now that I didn't really realize then was that many of them understood the word gay to mean something other than people attracted to the same sex. And for me, the word gay had been so important to have some word to express. I'm attracted to the same sex and not the opposite sex. And that's all I meant. When I said gay, I wasn't saying this is what the core of my identity is, or this is some quote unquote lifestyle that I'm choosing, or this is what my future looks like. I was just saying I'm attracted to the same sex. I'm not attracted to the opposite sex. I don't know how to change that. It may be what I experienced for the rest of my life. If it's not, I don't know when that's going to change. But if it is, I don't know what to do about it. This is where I am. Will you please support me. And that's not what they were hearing when I said gay, they were hearing something else. I got attacked a lot. It was painful. I spent a lot of time, you know, just with God alone, feeling pretty miserable, but not knowing, you know, what my options were other than to be honest, particularly after I started getting those emails from folks, because even if I had had a way to kind of go back into the closet and take it all back, I, I felt like I would have been letting all those people down. And, and I couldn't do that. And so whenever I I was tempted to just not talk about it anymore, I thought I can't because some of these people need me to talk about it for their sake. God put me in the right place at the right time.
0: I commend you for the courage and bravery that it took to be that guy, especially at that time in in history. Coming out now, there's so many more resources available and like people and influencers and things that are in the culture that, you know, than the time you're describing. How did your parents feel about all this? It was tough.
1: I know many people whose parents responded very, very badly. I'm fortunate that mine responded very lovingly, but also they had always believed as I had that that being gay was was something that was a choice and and a sin and and not what God wanted. To their credit, when I explained what I had been going through, they believed me when I said this is not something I chose. They knew me well enough and listened carefully enough to understand that. It helped that I had never been sexually active. I wasn't in any kind of you know, I mean, the only romantic relationship I was in was with my girlfriend. So that certainly helped. But also, I mean, they just they responded well in that in that way. But they also believed, as I did initially, that this was something that God was going to change. And so they were willing to spare no expense and do whatever it took to put me in touch with the leaders of what were then called ex-gay ministries, these Christian ministries that were trying to help gay people become straight. My dad in particular has always been somebody who, if there's a problem he will stop at nothing to fix the problem you know, he will call anybody, he won't take no for an answer. That's just who he is. I have a genetic autoimmune disorder called alopecia areata. So I lost my hair for the first time when I was four, and it came and went throughout my childhood. When I was young, not as much was known about alopecia as is known now. And so my dad's response, uh, when he couldn't find enough resources on the subject, and that was frustrating, his response was to start a foundation to raise money for research. That's the kind of person my dad is, you know. So uh, both my parents dedicated their time to, to finding out, well, who's out there who's helping gay people become straight? And they put me in touch with with all these people, which was an interesting part of my journey because I ended up meeting really the who's who of the ex-gay world at that time. And this was in the late 90s. And in the late 90s, the ex-gay movement was really at the peak of its influence in evangelical churches. It's something that got started in the early 70s, Some of these groups are still around. People sometimes think they're not. That's not true. They are still around. They don't usually use the term ex-gay anymore. But the movement as a whole has pretty much collapsed. You've got these little pockets here and there. But in the 90s, there was this whole big movement. There were these big national, international organizations. And I got to meet a lot of the most important people, the ones who were writing books and the ones who were traveling the country and going on Christian radio and saying, I am living proof that gay people can become straight. And when I met these people and sat down with them and talked to them one-on-one, I discovered very quickly that they weren't straight. Some of them had married somebody of the opposite sex. Some of them had had kids, but when I asked them about when their attractions changed, it was clear in every case, their attractions had not changed. Some of them would just admit it up front and say, yeah, no, my attractions never changed. But I used to, you know, mostly it was men who I met. They would say, you know, I used to have sex with men. I used to meet men in dark alleys for sex. And uh, now I'm married to a woman. Therefore, I'm not gay anymore. anymore." Right. And this is, you know, I don't want to go down a whole rabbit trail here, but this is part of why when I came out as gay, a lot of people misunderstood that. I just made a video that's going to be on my YouTube channel uh, shortly on the the history of the word gay. And in the early 70s, at the same time when these groups were first being formed and they first started calling themselves ex-gays, the term gay was still a fairly new slang term for most Americans. Some people, including the folks starting these groups, defined gay as something you did rather than something you felt. Eventually, the culture, you know, sort of coalesced around this definition of gay as attracted to the same sex and not the opposite sex. But in the early 70s, that wasn't so clear. And so when these folks were saying, I'm not gay, what they meant by that was, I am not engaging in this lifestyle of hooking up in bars and back alleys, you know, at the fringes of society. They talked about a quote-unquote gay lifestyle, and they literally meant a particular lifestyle. That's how they had lived, and they stopped living that way. And as times changed, and that wasn't so much a big part of the the gay world anymore. They kept saying gay lifestyle, but started saying it just sort of to mean anybody in any kind of situation where they were being sexually active uh, with somebody of the same sex. And they started saying gay, not even to refer to same sex sexual behavior, but to refer to some kind of chosen identity. So basically being gay meant a person who identifies as gay. So if you're attracted to the same sex, even maybe having same-sex sex and then repenting, if you don't identify as gay, you're not gay because gay is an identity. And so if you say my identity is in Christ, that means you are by definition not gay. So no true Christian is gay. That's a really different definition for gay from attracted to the same sex. And so I would meet these guys who would say, oh, I'm not gay. I haven't been gay in years. And I would say, well, when do your attractions change? And they would say, oh, no, my attractions never changed. And I would realize you're defining gay really differently from how I am because I had never had those behaviors and and those experiences i was interested in how do my attractions change And the more that I realized that even these men who were married to women and had kids still weren't attracted to their wives in many cases, still were attracted to men, still were really struggling with it every day. And in many cases, very unhappy in their marriages and the marriages were not in very good shape. The more I realized this, the more I thought, boy, this is not what the people back home think. This is not what my parents think. When you say you're not gay, that's not what they think you mean. When I went back and told my parents, I don't think God is making people straight. I don't think God is changing people's attractions because i I've met people who have all the faith in the world, all the faith to move mountains. And this is a mountain that's not moving for some reason. I don't know what to do with that. My parents initially thought that I was, I was giving up on God, that I was giving up too quickly on what God might do. And they said, well, don't you believe God? you know, has the power to to do this? And I said, absolutely, I believe God has the power. But for some reason, God's not doing it. I believe that with faith, we can move mountains. But the caveat there is God has to be willing for them to move. God's not a genie in a lamp who has to grant our every wish if we pray it in the right way. And this is, is a wish that I have very strongly, that these other people have very strongly. And God does not seem to be granting that wish. I think the question I have to ask now is okay, God, you know, I've been praying all these years that you would do this thing that I assumed, of course, you wanted to do, that you would make me straight and you haven't done it. I'm going to start praying now that you show me what it is that is your will and do that and help me to seek that. And that's really when I started thinking, well, so what does it look like for me to be a gay Christian? Should I be celibate? Should I, you know, pursue a relationship? Can it be a, a relationship like a marriage? Would it be some kind of celibate partnership? What would that look like? You know, all those questions. And my parents were still, you know, hey, don't give up on becoming straight. There were times we had a lot of arguments, but we continued to love each other. And although it was really painful at times, you know, we did maintain that relationship. So
0: I've never, I don't know if I've asked you this before and it's just kind of coming to me now, but I'm curious at this point. So it's been almost decades now right like you've been doing this for a long time it's not new all this stuff you know how are they doing with you in all this journey at this point
1: my mom passed away a few years back in the the later years of her life she was on a on a journey toward understanding more and more of this and, and becoming more and more supportive. I suspect that she would have gotten to the place of being affirming of same-sex marriage, but she died of a brain disease and the kind of disease that she had, you know, it, it affected her ability to, to reason carefully. And so it's difficult to say exactly how things would have worked out for her. And obviously that's, you know, that's painful for me because I know her and because I could see the way that things were going for her. I... I think that's where she would have ended up. My dad is is still living. And my dad, over the years, got more and more understanding. Both my parents, before my mom got sick, both my parents did come to the conclusion that God did not seem to be wanting to change me and supported me in saying, I'm gay and I'm always going to be gay. And what does that look like? The big question was then, do I need to be celibate for the rest of my life? Do I need to be single? Could I have a partnership? And if so, is it like a celibate partnership or marriage? And I came to the conclusion, I think God would bless a a same-sex marriage. That took me a lot of Bible study and prayer and stuff before I got there. But I got there and my parents were like, ah, oh, we're not so sure about that. My dad for a long time really held on to this belief that I should be single and celibate for the rest of my life. And he said, I totally support you in being honest about being gay. I think it's wonderful that you're doing that. I've seen the difference you're making in people's lives, but I, I think it's best, you know, for you to be single. Uh, I don't think that I can't reconcile the Bible with same-sex marriage. He and I sat down multiple times and I, went through. Here's how I understand these Bible passages. Here's how I came to this conclusion. Here's what changed my mind in the Bible. And he would say, well, you know, you make good arguments, but I just can't get there. My dad, a few years ago, came to a talk that I gave after my mom died, where I was talking about the Bible stuff again. And in that talk, I made a joke about being single because I was single at the time. And I (laughs) made this joke where I said, essentially, well, you know, I've come to this conclusion that God would support me in a same-sex marriage. Not that it's doing me any good because I'm still single, ha, ha, ha. You know, if anybody knows anybody, you know, here's my number. Just kidding. And my dad came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I've been thinking about what you said. And since your mom died, I have been so lonely. I've realized how important it was to me to have that, that companion in life. And I just don't want you to have to go through that. I don't want you to be lonely for the rest of your life. And so I want you to know, if you do meet that, meet that person, I support you, and I, and I want to be there for you. And that meant the world to me. And it's interesting, because I've seen that happen a lot, where when Christians talk about why we disagree on this topic of same-sex marriage, and I know there are a lot of people, I there are a lot of people who like my book torn and, and like my videos and will bring me to come speak to their church or whatever and say, I love that you tell your story and I love all this stuff and I disagree with you on same-sex marriage. I can't support you your position on that, but I love the rest of the stuff. I am not out there to change everybody's mind on same-sex marriage. I'm here to say how do we have a better conversation as a church. But I'm also open about what I believe. And I find when we talk about why we disagree on same-sex marriage, we often frame it only in terms of, well, what does the Bible say? and as an evangelical i think what the bible says matters absolutely i think you know we 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 should get our moral guidance from scripture but we also have guidance in scripture from jesus that we should approach scripture, not like the Pharisees, in this sort of abstract vacuum, figuring out what the rules are, and then applying them to people, but taking into consideration people's circumstances and and approaching all of this in a loving way that, you know, that, that we're going on the journey with people. I find that so often, we just talk about it in this abstract way. And well, what does this passage mean or not mean? And we don't spend enough time talking about what does this actually look like in somebody's life. And very often, what brings people to a place of greater understanding and support, wherever they end up on same-sex marriage, is the empathy piece. Actually listening to people's stories and thinking about how it feels to be them. Because at the end of the day, as a gay Christian, the question I'm facing every day isn't just a question about sex. Not that sex doesn't matter, but that's not the big thing. When I talk about marriage, I'm thinking about companionship. And I'm thinking about not just these passages about man lying with man, but who's there for me when I'm lonely? And who's there for me if I get sick the way that my mom got sick? Who cares for me the way that my dad cared for her? And who's there to support me in doing the 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 work that I do and living life as a Christian and and all these things. I think that you know when God said about Adam in the garden, you know it's not good that the man should be alone. That's not just about sex, that's about companionship. And so often we just talk about sex and we talk about these passages in that light and I think it's so important that we think about people's stories whatever conclusion we come to. So it meant a lot to me that my dad then after experiencing that loneliness thought about things differently and that was actually what got him going back to the Bible passages and looking at them differently. It wasn't just abstract arguing
0: so that concludes part one of the two-part interview series i did with justin lee if you are part of the lgbtq plus community and you're a follower of jesus or you know somebody like that i want to make sure you guys know that we have the rainbow room available for you this is a group that i personally lead and facilitate where i bring some mentorship guidance in this space particularly for people who are working through their own sexuality and scripture and the church and their relationship with God and their faith and their spirituality. We're working on relationship dynamics, establishing appropriate boundaries in the people who are affirming or not affirming in our lives. We're working through our own internalized homophobia It's an environment where people are supportive. They're in the same exact boat as you. There's encouragement, there's support, there's embracing and celebration of who we are. It's unlike any space I've found in my coming out process, and I'm so proud to offer this to people who are looking for it. We're looking for people who are in the queer community who love Jesus and need the support and guidance that's necessary for a human being going through this process. If that's you, I provided a link below this episode for you to check it out. I hope you do so. It's life changing. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode. and We'll see you at the next one. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.